lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to another episode of Seven Friday Night. My name is Chase Bryson. I'm the managing editor of Sports Stars Magazine. We've got a jam-packed episode today, which will include an interview with Clayton Valley coach Tim Murphy, as well as the usual stop by Coach Edson. But first, it's time to welcome my co-host, Ben Enos. After the trauma of last week's episodes, Ben, I assure you we're rolling and the red light is on. You may safely enter the chat. You'll have to excuse me if I'm a little bit skeptical given our recent history. But hello, everyone. Yes, we have made it. It is the final week of the regular season for the North Coast section and the Central Coast section, and the first week of the postseason for the Sac Joaquin section. We have plenty to talk about. Who on earth has it better than us? <laughs> well, it's undoubtedly a big week in high school football. We've got playoffs beginning in the Sac Joaquin section, a number of pivotal regular season finales here in the Bay Area. But we start this week's show like we do every show with a glance backwards. Well, let's start with you this week, Ben. You journeyed to the top of the hill this week to get your first look at Campolindo's Dash and Mash show. And it sounds like they brought the goods. Yes, we need to start with the truly important things on 7 Friday night. <laughs> first, I was heartened to hear that we have actual listeners who don't include our family in the Campolindo community. That makes me happy. If you ever see us and you are a listener, please say hello. Uh, second, I am told by a reliable source that the Dash and Mash, or is it Mash and Dash? I don't even know, <laughs> is alive and well and serving as a campaign name in a certain government class at Camp Lindo. <laughs> Chase, we could become TikTok influencers <laughs> with content like that. We've got uh, pop culture reach now, baby. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, that said, I start with the fun stuff because I guess I saw what I expected to see in Moraga Friday night uh, with a 42 to 21 win for the hosts. Campo is really, really good. And they're primed for another big run in the NCS division two playoffs and perhaps beyond Dasha Weaver and Robbie Mascheroni get the headlines and rightfully so. But I think Campo is the sum of its parts yet again. And guys like Robbie Horst, Brendan Comerford, Charlie Murren, Scott Lyon, Lucas Concepcion, and many, many more combined to make the Cougs what they are. Something we'll need to get into later this season, I think, is the fact that Campo actually looks pointed towards a move to Division I next year. And with Weaver and Mascheroni walking out the door after this year, it might surprise you to hear that I might actually be buying what Kevin Macy <laughs> is selling next year when that happens. Um, so, yeah, Campo's primed and ready. Uh, big game. This week against Miramani, they're not going to look past that because it's a rivalry game, but uh, I expect good things moving forward. Real quick on the other side, Las Lomas is surviving on some gritty play and good coaching. When I asked one of the Knights coaches if they were getting healthier, he pointed to three guys walking towards us and said, well, that's the starting linebacking unit with multiple guys on crutches. Uh, that said, the Knights are still playing hard, and a win on Friday at Benicia gets them to 500 and gets them in the playoffs. I would not want to see Las Lomas in the playoffs based solely on uh, what I saw Friday night. Um, Michael Wood is back at quarterback. He's also playing defense, so that tells you where they're at uh, personnel-wise, but you never count out Las Lomas. So that is what I saw in M-Town. You took the drive to Dublin to check out Livermore and ended up watching the Gales pick up a quality win instead. I'm a tad bitter because I picked the Cowboys, 
But I also shouted out Brandon Black, so I guess I'm not surprised. What did you see in Dublin? Well, first of all, it ended up being quite a fun game to cover, and I came away with favorable impressions of both teams. I was, like you, impressed with Dublin coach Brandon Black. I thought he called a terrific game, especially at critical moments. But of course, it doesn't matter how good the play call is if it's not executed. And damn if the Gales weren't sharp when it counted. Small but feisty running back Brady Stedman carried it a season-high 34 times, and he turned that into season bests in rushing yards and TDs with 191 and 3. There was also Brandon DeAquisto, who made big plays in the return game and had an interception on defense. Adam Moore is a talented receiver, and Angel Barraza has some really nice throws at quarterback, too. Not to take anything away from the Gales, because they definitely won that game, but I think Livermore is probably better than they showed at Dublin on Friday. Tyler Trudeau is a very good high school quarterback, and Dominic Johnson should be a next-level receiver. At least he looks the part, and he made some really nice catches. The win made Dublin playoff eligible, and I think both of these teams eventually cracked the eight-team Division II field next week. If I were Dublin, though, I wouldn't want to leave anything to chance by losing to Doherty Valley this week. The Wildcats are also a Division II team that's going to be among the two to three teams vying for that last spot in that field. So we'll take a look at the actual playoff brackets in the Sac Joaquin section in a second, but there's a few big regular season finales in the Bay Area this week, including that dublin Doherty Valley game. Marin Catholic Kentfield and San Marin Nevada will battle for the Marin for the Marin County Athletic League title. Palma Salinas and Salinas High will battle for the Pacific Coast Gabalin title. There are a number of critical second-place battles as well, but the EBL Mountain Division probably has the biggest game of the week. De La Salle and Clayton Valley, kind of a big deal. We're going to bring it down more with Coach Edson later, but what are your thoughts when it comes to that matchup? Yeah, it's a big, huge week here in the Bay Area, and there's, you say probably, I'm going, no doubt, lock it up, never been more sure of anything in my whole life. The biggest game of the week is in Concord, Um, and it's no secret that I'm buying what Clayton Valley's selling. Since I saw him against San Ramon, I've been talking the Eagles up, Uh, and like you said, we're going to talk about it with Coach Edson. We're also going to get into it with Coach Murphy. We have that thing covered every which way this week. Uh, so I won't belabor the point, but we've seen some big games this year, you and I. Uh, we've seen Folsom play. We've seen uh, Sarah play. We've seen De La Salle play. We've seen St. Mary Stockton play. This could be the most intriguing matchup we've seen this year. So uh, I'll say that right now. But like you mentioned, this week is it's about way more than that game. Even if it's the biggest game on the board, this week has just good matchups everywhere. You mentioned uh, – the MCAL, we haven't talked about them a lot since the beginning of the year, but you better buy those tickets early if you want to go see Marin Catholic play Sam Marin because that place is going to be jumping Friday night. Uh, Sam Marin's 8-1, and one, Marin Catholic's 9-0, and oh, and oh yeah, we've got former Sam Marin quarterback Joey Cook on the Marin Catholic side. We have Dominic Ingracia, whose older brother Michael took Marin Catholic all the way on the Sam Marin side. We have storylines everywhere. Going to be a great game. Uh, a couple others in the NCS. The big little game, I expect, we all expect that Pittsburgh is a heavy favorite, but it's a rivalry game, and it's always great uh, atmosphere-wise. So uh, Pittsburgh and Antioch, worth watching. Cardinal Newman's going to Windsor. Big game yeah. uh, in the North Bay. Uh, Livermore, Granada. St. Mary's uh, against St. Patrick, St. Vincent is for a league title in the TCAL. And then Petaluma, American Canyon even is a good one. Uh, moving south, you mentioned Palma Salinas, but Christopher and Live Oak are going to figure out the top of the Mount Hamilton standings with Lincoln thrown in there, of course. Um, Pioneer and Branham 
are each eight and eight and one and four and zero in their league as they meet to figure out the Santa Teresa Foothill champion. And then Midi St. Francis could be a good one in uh, the West Catholic League. So, yeah, there's just good games everywhere. Uh, so those are the big old games. But I got a big old question for you. <laughs> when it comes to the North Coast section, if Pittsburgh and Clayton Valley win this week, are the Pirates and the Uglies the NCS Open Division seeds with De La Salle dropping to the D1 field? Is that the world we live in now? <laughs> what do you think? That would be such a wild scenario, and I would not envy the selection committee at all who had to make that call. I so let's let's go down the rabbit hole. All right, Clayton would definitely be one because they'd have a head-to-head win over one of those other teams. So then it would come down to De La Salle and Pittsburgh. No head-to-head between them, so the committee would need to look at strength of schedule, common opponents, and yes, probably the HAL nine thousand rating. Let's start with that last item first. Our good friend Hal has Pittsburgh as the highest rated NCS team right now with a score of 49.7. And De La Salle is number two at 49.5. Notably, Clayton is rated 35.3, which would clearly go up with a win over De La Salle. But that only ranks them fourth right now. Marin Catholic is third at 36.8, but they're somehow going to Division Four. So look away. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> No one will argue De La Salle's edge and strength of schedule. Their, their, their opponents are combined 30 games over 500. Pittsburgh's are just seven games over 500. Common opponents for both are Folsom and Cal. Pittsburgh lost to Folsom by eight. De La Salle lost to the Bulldogs by four. Both beat Cal. Pittsburgh by 20. De La Salle by 34. Also, it's worth noting that Pittsburgh hasn't beaten De La Salle since 1992, as everybody knows. I And I honestly, I think... Just like the CIF, CIF committee did last year with Sarah, the NCS committee will take advantage of a very rare time to give two new teams a shot. So I think yes, but it's, I mean, I don't know. I think yes, if, if De La Salle lost to Clayton Valley, it would be Clayton Valley and Pitt as the top two seeds and would play for the open title, assuming they won their first round games. And then the loser would play De La Salle supposedly in the Division One final. This that's, is fantastic. I this don't is... mean, that's how I break it down. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting here just shaking my head vehemently. <laughs> this is great. No, this is a good conversation. This is the best. This is the best discussion, like because there are so many sides and so yes. many angles to this discussion. But I'm going to tell you right now to me, the answer to my question is yes. <laughs> yes. De La Salle has played the tough schedule. I'm not debating that. Yeah. But if Clayton wins this week. They'll have won six in a row entering the playoffs. They'll have a better record than De La Salle. Now they're and, in. I'm not, I wouldn't argue Clayton at all. They'd win. And they'll have the head to head win. Now I disagree with you. I don't think they would be a lock for the top seed. I think a nine and one Pittsburgh actually has some juice to be the number one seed. Oh, sure. Because, because <laughs> then, okay, go ahead. Because those win that win over McClyman's is a big deal. Uh, yes, De La Salle has played all the big teams. But they have four losses. No chance. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> at what point do you have to win the games on the field? So I can I, see I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you either. I can I, see I a mean... scenario in which a nine and one Pittsburgh against a what Clayton would have three losses at that point, right? If Clayton, uh, Clayton, yeah, Clayton, Clayton wins this week, they go. If they, they go win, in if they beat Dallas, they're seven and three. Okay, so you're putting a nine and one Pittsburgh on the board with a pretty good strength, pretty good strength of schedule against a seven and three uh, Clayton Valley. And Clayton Valley, one moment, please, has 
losses against uh, Del Oro, Turlock, and Salinas. Del Oro's a D2 school. Turlock's mm -hmm. a D1 school. And Salinas, we don't know because of the CCS. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Del Oro's good, but Del Oro losing to Oak Ridge last week hurts Clayton Valley's strength of schedule. Sure. I can see a scenario in which the road runs through Pirate Stadium as the number one seed. I don't question whether they get in over De La Salle at all. If De La Salle loses this game, Clayton Valley and Pittsburgh are going to the open game. And all then right. one of them, uh, uh, they have to play that first round game. But one of them then will end up playing De La Salle again sure. later in the playoffs. Theoretically, yes. I see if Clayton Valley wins this week, I see a world in which we have the all the pomp and all the circumstance of what we had in the Division One title game that I was at last year, Pittsburgh, Clayton Valley at Pirate Stadium. That's what I see. <laughs> and it's a great discussion. <laughs> and, and yes. I think I yeah, you can you can you can win both sides of this argument for sure. For sure. I think. De La Salle has four losses on the board. You know who would be the most pragmatic when it comes to their chances to be in that open division bracket? Justin Allenbaugh. Justin Allenbaugh is not the rah-rah, like, yeah. we deserve. Yeah. He's been consistent every time we've talked to him this year. We They 100%. have not been good enough. And so you got to win the games. And this game this week, it it's the world we live in, too, where if De La Salle loses this week, Clayton Valley wins – and we make a big deal of the open division bracket, De La Salle is in an even better position to go oh, sure. to a state game. Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of the crazy world we live in. The permutations are endless at this point. Then <laughs> we could wax poetic about this forever. But we have a lot to talk about. So let's shift to the Sac Joaquin section, where the playoffs get underway this week. I was sitting during the 49er game hitting refresh on our good friend Joe Davidson's Twitter feed. As a result, we know the top two seeds in each of the top four divisions. So let's give those out. Uh, in D1, it's Folsom and St. Mary's. Please try to act shocked. Uh, <laughs> in D2, it is Manteca and Del Oro. In D3, it's Placer and Patterson. And in D4, it is Vanden of Fairfield and Casa Roble, one of our favorites this year. From Orangevale. So, Chase, we need to fill the gap. Fill this gap. Of those eight teams, blank is the best bet to be a section champion. All right. Well, uh, all right. I'm actually going to pick a two seed here, actually. Of the, eight, of the eight top seeds in Division One through four, Costa Roble is my best bet to be a section champion. The Rams were just two points shy of a 10-0 regular season. The Division Four number two seed has won nine straight, and its only loss of the season was a 37-35 week one loss to Placer, who we've just said is the top seed in Division Three. Meanwhile, the top seed in Division Four is a Vanden team that's been a little shaky down the stretch and didn't even win its league. So I'm going to bet the Rams in that field, but watch out for the number three seed, uh, West Park of uh, Roseville, in that bracket too. But... I mean, the other three divisions, I just think the one and two seeds are so close that I can't, I don't, I just, that's the only one where I thought maybe there's a little bit of, of, uh, of a, yeah, a gap, as we should say, uh, between those two. But I mean, St. Mary's is a, is a great foil to Folsom. I think uh, Patterson is going to be a tough bet for Placer and, uh, and Del Oro um, and Manteca is going to be a squeaker too. So hard to go in any of those directions, but that's why I went Costa Robley. 
So the guy that that ended his season last year on the sideline with the trade dimes magic experience. I know is going against the trade dimes magic experience. It's true. Meanwhile, you you cite the fact that Vanden did not win their league. Guess what Vanden did last year? <laughs> did not win their league. So Good we'll point. see. You, you, I, I can't criticize you too much because I agree with all those other games, all those other top two seeds. Uh, yeah. Those those are awfully strong uh, matchups, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. All right. With all that playoff talk out of the way, it's time to talk to some people here. And the first one we have to talk to is a coach that we've uh, long admired and respected. Does a great job at Clayton Valley. We talked to Coach Tim Murphy on their huge game this week. And let's see what he has to say about going up against the Big Green Machine yet again, and maybe with his best chance uh, in a long time to pull off that victory. And now we'd like to welcome to the show a coach we've both had the pleasure of knowing and covering for several years. He has a pretty big game this week, too. He's technically a co-head coach these days, but most still view him as the face of Clayton Valley Ugly Eagles football. It's Coach Tim Murphy. Welcome to the show, Coach. Right on. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. So we've been saving our ass for Coach Murphy to come on the show, mostly because we just always enjoy talking shop with him ever since his days at Ignacio Valley. He left us for a while, but then he came back, which was great. Um, there's no getting around that this week is, to date, the biggest game of the year for the Ugly Eagles. But before we dive into that, we have to point out that the reason that this week's game is so big is because of what Clayton Valley has done over the past five weeks. Since the bye week, the Uglies have gone 5-0 and and scored no fewer than 35 points in any game. Murph, first of all, we know you've given consideration to stepping away these last couple of years. So with your guys sitting at one and three, were you wondering about your life choices at that point? And <laughs> Man, second, a- what, what has been the biggest key to the turnaround? That that's a great question because yes, I mean, I, and I hate to say it, but it, it it's a fleeting thought a lot. But I have such a good uh, cast of people. My administration is outstanding. My assistant coaches, I'm just perfect, and my kids are just great. So, and then the teachers at our school are really good. So, the 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 teaching and the game of football has kind of gotten to a point where man, it's like. And, you know, and change the offense has definitely helped. Um, But, yeah, when we're one and three, I'm going, man, is this because of me? Am I just being too soft on these kids? Because I know this is nearing the end. And as I get older, I I tend to, you know, some coaches get tougher and some get softer. I've definitely gotten softer. And and, uh, trying to find that balance of still, you know, having them work as hard as they can and get everything out of them. Because I I feel like that's what I've been known for is getting the most out out of my kids. And uh, this is a really good group of kids. So I, I tried to take a stance of almost being just a little bit more of a mentor slash coach. I don't know. I mean, I guess we always are. But in the way, I was kind of almost trying to be more of a, a sounding board and, and lead them to the correct things in life and football instead of just telling them all the time, you know, being such a dictator. So I guess I was trying to make it, you know, less dictatorial. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, but long story short. After the Turlock game, I, I lost my mind after the game, and I just said I'm being too soft, and things got to change. And and they they knew it. They saw that that look, and a lot of the kids, you know, a lot of the guys that are seniors, and especially if they're sophomores on varsity, are like, thank goodness, coach, we, we need you to get back on us again. And because uh, they're extremely disciplined, they're just not as self disciplined as I'd want them to be at this point. But they've gotten significantly better. I think because <laughs> I've been that dictator 
the last, you know, five weeks. And so my, I kind of asked my other coaches to step up because they always kind of mirror, I think, my temperature. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've all kind of just got on them that much harder. And now that they're winning, I find myself even pulling back again. And I'm like, I can't fall into this trap of uh, not being as – I always shouldn't say hard on them, but demanding on them, you know, and, and pushing the narrative instead of having them push it because they're just – as good as they are, they're just not that ready to go out and take complete control of the team. What did you see on the field during these last five weeks that's, that's made a difference? Um, well, it's been mostly in practice, just making it a much, much more difficult. Um, you know, I gave him kind of a free day on Friday in my weights class, and no more of that. We stretch. Uh, they got to do something productive, whether it's watch film or do homework after that. Um, holding them a little bit more accountable to just the, the little things. And uh, in tempo, because, you know, when you when you go spread, I've always been a tempo guy, even in heavy. But when you go spread, there's even that much more of an advantage uh, to do that. And uh, I wasn't holding them to that accountability as well. And uh, and they 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 welcomed it. You know, one or two kids fought it, but they jumped right on board after a couple of weeks. Um, just watching a little bit more film like we used to all those things. And then again, there was a natural learning curve that we knew was going to happen. And those three teams we played were good. You know, I, I think that's what other people don't realize, um, though. We we definitely have improved a, a ton and I think we'd be fine playing them now. But at the same time, there's a learning curve of completely changing the offense, completely changing the philosophy of the offense. And that put a little pressure on our defense as well. Um, so we've picked up the offense apart really well now. I think the kids really understand it. There's a lot more of an autopilot feel when we're at practice. And then I think the defense is kind of reacclimated. Uh, to you either score fast or you're three and out fast, you know, compared to when you're, you know, doing 10 and 12 play drives. I'm wondering, Coach, if, if you see any similarities between this team and your your 2019 state championship team that faced its own adversity and was just five and five at the start of the playoffs. Yeah, tremendous. Uh, you know, that was one of the things I actually brought up to him when we were one and three was how we had a similar situation and then went on to win like, you know, 10 straight and a state championship that one. And, you know, this one, we had some early injuries that, that really hurts. Angel Gonzalez is probably our best defensive player. And he blew his, uh, shattered his ankle, um, in the first half of the first game. And then we had a couple other guys go out Then you know, Stallings came over from uh, Bishop Gorman, but basically only played in a quarter, uh, cause the game in Vegas, you know, we could have, that, that team is struggling. So that wasn't really a challenge type game. But long story short, we've uh, got some new guys in the lineup, more on defense than anything, and, and they've really uh, done well. Uh, so there was a little bit of adjusting to those guys as well. I mean, I've never – Chase, I've never even brought up a freshman in my 30 years career. I got two freshmen up right now and one starting, and the other one gets significant time. So – and probably the most sophomores we've ever had starting and, and maybe even the you know com- combination of juniors and, and sophomores. So that – took some adjustment because you got to get reps in the season that you just can't get at practice. You know, you can go as live as you want, but you can never simulate a game, game tempo and game adrenaline until you actually get games under your belt. Totally true. So we will, we'll jump into this week's game and we'll say that, you know, having done this a long time, it seems like over the years, if any North coast section school was going to get over this hump, it was going to be one of two schools. Pittsburgh or Clayton Valley. They're the, always the ones with the best shot. And Murph, you've been here before. Plenty yeah. of matchups against the big green machine. What do you think will be the key to a positive outcome for your guys on Friday night against De La Salle? 
Yeah, I mean, I've been playing these guys forever. When I was at YV, um, you know, we we had a really high-scoring game with them back when they had DJ Williams and Gutierrez. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just couldn't stop DJ in the fourth quarter. The following year when they had uh, Kevin Simon and, and, and that group, we were winning 7-6 at halftime and, uh, again, fourth quarter. And we've had some close ones with them here. We just haven't been able to go the duration. Um, and I, I think we always do a, a pretty good job against them. There's been a couple years we didn't match up physically, but a lot of times we do. But I, I think the key in this game right now is they got to understand, my kids got to understand, this is still Dale South. And, yeah, they've had some injuries and they've had some games that they normally would win. Uh, but I, they're getting a lot of kids back over these last couple of weeks. I know they didn't play the majority of their – their guys against Amador. And I've always used that chip on the shoulder underdog thing, which we always are to Dale Sal, there's no doubt. And I think that helps us. Um, if all of a sudden they, for some crazy reason, don't think it's the same as it always has been as far as the uphill challenge, uh, that could be an issue. So getting ready for these guys is mostly mentally. Um, you know, you're not going to all of a sudden gain 30 pounds and take two tenths off your 40 to play Dallas Sal. So those two things are going to have you every single year. Uh, but you got to manage the mental part. And then the things go bad part, too. Short memories. Because they're going to break off some big plays. It's just the speed they have. Or they're going to make some really good plays on defense or special teams. And if you let one play, bad play become two, and it becomes an avalanche, uh, that, that Dale Sal will really get you. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon, so you haven't been around them for a week of preparation for this game yet. But just in general, are you getting any kind of sense from this group that their confidence to beat De La Salle may be higher than previous years because they've seen other NorCal teams do it? Yeah, of course. You know, it's natural. Uh, I don't. Um, and, I, I, you know, my coaches that have been around <laughs> here long enough don't. Um, but, yeah, of course. And that's just natural behavior. And, and I'm glad they're confident. I'd rather them be more confident because of what we've done the last five weeks than what Dallas Al has or hasn't done. And I can tell there's already that thought. Now, I'm not saying they're they're sitting there going, we got this game in the bag by any means. But, yeah, I can see it. You know, one of the things about coaching this long is you really get to understand kids. And, uh, you know, with the large teams we've had and all that, I got a pretty good beat on them. And I can, I can see it. They're not saying it, but I can see it. And that's – got to be admonished by tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> that could get us in trouble but you're, either way you're... i think it'll be a fun game you know the big thing i always say about this is look if you did everything right before the game and you do everything right as far as effort in the game then you can't have a regret you know because they're gonna have advantages that we're just not gonna have but if you go all out and for the most part our kids have done pretty good against them and felt good after the game and it's you know when we play dale sal in the regular season it's different because it's not like it ends your season. You got to go on. We got to go on and we got to be healthy and we got to maybe play up to five or six more games after this game. So again, my point is I don't want them to think this is it, even though I know they're really fired up for it. Cause it's not even close. It's not even a league championship game. Yeah. I mean, De La Salle is not in our league. So the league was wrapped up on Friday. I want them to enjoy that. And then understand that this game is just a non-league game trying to get maybe a decent seating for the seating for the playoffs or just to get better because we'll probably never see a team as good as them no matter who we play from here on in. Fact of the matter is, too, you could see these guys again in fairly short order. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. So this is only the start. Yes. Yeah, it's really strange the way the playoffs are set up. And I, I think the NCS has done a, a really good job with that. But, yeah, that's a weird one, right? You could, yeah. you know, and they try to avoid that at all costs when they do seedings a lot of times. 
because, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the most thrilling thing for people and kids to play each other twice so quickly, but yeah, I mean, that could very well happen. So, well, um, don't worry. Nobody's listening to this anyway. So if you if you want to go out on a limb right now, this will publish no. on Tuesday. No. You can you can just tell us. First series against De La Salle, double wing, double tight. We're there. Yeah. No, no. I would. We can't even go back. You know, I've gone spread with these guys before, uh, my, with my kids, and then it didn't have enough time. Whether it was a short off season from COVID and all that, and went right back to my old offense. We're we're all in with spread right now. So. We have the package in. Uh, it's more of a short yardage thing. And, you know, against uh, De La Salle, there'll be some reasons that I have to mix things up more than normal. Yeah. Uh, so you, you'll see it. But, no, nah, I mean, we're we're all in. We're not trying to hide anything. De La Salle's got our film. We got theirs. And we're going to do what's got us here. And that's just throwing the ball and making sure that we keep our quarterback clean. And, and we got another one, too. We actually have two good quarterbacks, which is one of the other reasons I would never run spread in the past is because what happens if your starter goes out? Yeah. A lot of times you become a different team. So that offense has really helped us be so consistent. Um, and this one is a little bit more of a risk for what we do. But, no, there's no change in it. I, I love what we're doing. And the kids love it, too. These receivers worked really hard on the offseason and so the quarterback. So I, that would be breaking their heart. Yep. You expecting a sellout? I imagine you probably are. Yeah, I mean, we've had big crowds, whether it's at Dale Sal or our, our place every year. So it, it'll definitely be uh, standing on the track only. You know, probably about seven and change. So it should be a good one when it comes to that. And that's another thing I told the kids, look, you don't want to make a mistake that you could have avoided in front of all those people. You know, if you drop a ball and you look the ball in and you've done everything technically right, that's just how the chips fall. But if you jumped off sides or you were off on a coverage or whatever it is that you could have prevented if you studied hard, uh, that's a different story. So, no, I, and I think uh, the fans will be fired up. We got a good crew of uh, fans this year. They were loud in every game so i can only imagine this one well we're gonna let murph get back to game planning but for those who are living under a rock northern california's game of the week is on alberta way on friday night clayton valley against de la salle at seven o'clock get your tickets early get to the stadium early and settle in for what should be just a great high school football game murph thanks as always for taking the time and good luck this week man right on really appreciate and appreciate what you guys do thank you fellas thanks coach And now we're going to take a quick time out for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner, the California Army National Guard. At some point, your community will be challenged. It could be a flood, forest fire, hurricane, or civil unrest. When it happens, be the one to answer the call. Rescue the stranded. Protect the threatened. Save the injured. Join the National Guard and serve your community when it needs you most. Visit nationalguard.com to find out more. Well, we want to thank Coach Murphy once again for joining us. We knew he wouldn't disappoint. Now we visit the other sideline of the same game and bring Coach Edson in for his weekly drop-in. Coach will definitely share his take on the Big De La Salle Clayton game, and we might see if he has a favorite scary movie. And he's not allowed to say it's the game tape of the 2016 State Bowl against St. John Bosco. Let's listen in. Well, we welcome Coach Terry Edson to the show, and we note that we're recording this on Halloween. So in the spirit of our heated debate over holiday movies last year, we wonder if you're a scary movie guy. And if so, <laughs> do you have a favorite? And I'll note it's also acceptable to admit that your favorite movie of the season is Hocus Pocus. 
<laughs> oh, I gotta admit, I honestly have not seen Hocus Pocus. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Well, I, I tell you, a, a movie that did scare me a lot when um, uh, that when I was a little kid is I think it was called House on Haunted Hill. Okay, I know that, that, one, I've heard that, that was one. an old one. But uh, I tell you, what did scare me was because uh, I thought it was true, which I found out it was all fake. But when I thought it was true, was the Blair Witch Project. I saw Ooh, that yeah. in the movies and the uh, classic, yeah. And that scared me. And of course, I think anybody that's Catholic scariest movies of all time is the exorcist there's no doubt about it which uh is based on a true story so uh you know i don't know obviously there's like her head turning completely around i don't think actually happened but uh, there's some other added things i won't bring on the air because this is pg but uh that scared the living daylights out of me also that was one that caused a lot of anxiety for a lot of people actually when that movie first came out in the 70s do you seek out scary movies or are you not, not a super. Oh, uh, my family's a big scary movie group. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I end up getting stuck watching it with them. Absolutely. <laughs> the latest one I wanted to see is that. Nope. Uh, my wife said, I don't like alien movies. I want to see that one. Is that uh, Jordan Peele's? Yeah. The one he did recently. Yeah. Ben. Not a scary movie guy. No, nope. a scary movie guy. A hard pass. Avoid it all costs. <laughs> Chase, uh, how, scary movies in your household? Uh, we're not huge scary movie people, but I, um, I, I can handle them when I need to. But I, I probably vote for Scream. Scream was a, a, a oh good one. yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. And then a recent one, uh, which really isn't it's more the non traditional. It's an alien one, but I, I like the Quiet Place. Um, oh yeah, that was good. That was, was good that's Jordan well. Peele too, right? Uh, I don't think it was. But Isn't it was, it? I don't think so, but it was, it was very similar to his type. Yeah, of style. Uh, that was, that was, yeah, that was and Jim from the office. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm just impressed with all three of us when discussing scary movies and scary films <laughs> or not saying the De La Salle game film from a couple <laughs> games this year. Yeah. That's, that's a different kind of scary, Ben. <laughs> Well, that's that takes us right up to what we need to talk about. My official count has De La Salle's North Coast Section unbeaten streak at 263 games. That will be on the line and playoff seating as well when the Spartans head to Clayton Valley on Friday. You promised us a big breakdown of this game last week, so let's hear it. <laughs> what do we have a we said North Coast Section? Yeah, 263 streak? games. Who keeps track of that stuff? Chase Chase Bryson. <laughs> I mean, I had either I, I, once we lost to St. Francis last year. I thought that was the last time I heard the word streak out nope. of anybody's There's still mouth. one left. Oh There's my North god! North Coast section and technically well, East Bay. You could break I, it down I, even more, but I will be honest. It, it's 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 definitely in danger this uh, <laughs> Friday night for sure. This is um, how I I break it down. So number one, the key to the game to me. Mike Avery, I think the running, I think that is the key to the whole game. Mm -hmm. um, I, and, and watching, I think he's the best, I think, you know, without offending uh, any fellow Spartans, but I think he's the best, going to be the best athlete on the field. Um, he definitely is, is going to, the guy that's going to cause us the most problems, I think, at running back. They, they're definitely, we're outsized. There, there's no doubt about that. So that that's going to be an issue. 
Um, Clayton Valley does some things that we have not responded well to this year as a defense, and that is the short, quick, you know, uh, passes out in the flat, you know, like the extended running game. So the quick screens, I guess, another way of calling them, they do that a lot of that, and we have not responded well to that. So that's going to be an issue. I like the way Clayton Valley uses motion um, in their offense to get, you know, the defense on their toes a little bit. And then, you know, they, they do a lot of misdirection, which is makes you have to be very disciplined uh, at the linebacker position where and we have some young linebackers. So that's going to be an issue for us. Um I'm not as concerned with their vertical passing game as much as I am with, um, you know, their short passing game, getting the ball out to their guys and letting them run. So that that's going to be an issue for us. Uh, on the other side, um, they, you know, Clayton Valley is predominantly a, a four-man line, cover two, look almost predominantly they do do a three-man line every once in a while when they think they're in a passing situation. So I think Jesuit has some success uh, uh, against Clayton Valley running the running the veer, and we haven't been uh, specifically running the veer this week, but if we're going to win the game, we're going to have to run the veer, and we're going to have to run it successfully. I think one thing that uh, Clayton Valley is susceptible to is a running quarterback because when you play two deep zone and you spread out and you, you send your receivers out there, if they have a quarterback like uh, Baker of uh, Saramone got some big yards against him and Artoa, our, our quarterback, he's, you know, when he's in the game, he's a good runner and he's, you know, he's had some long runs all year against some good teams. So that's, I'm sure, going to be a, a concern for them when they're in the game. I, I do think their offense and, and Ben's, you know, I think he'll agree with this a little bit. And this isn't like, I, I don't want to ever sound like, you know, I am uh, criticizing kids or anything like that. Cause I just won't do that. But I think their offense is ahead of their defense. And so for Delisle to have success, they're going to have to keep their offense off the, off the field. And that, that used to be Clayton. It's interesting. It's kind of flipped roles because yeah. that was Clayton Valley's, uh, you know, goal against us was always to hold the ball and keep our offense off the field and go on. You know, there are times where first quarter would end and we'd have the ball, you know, we had the ball one time because they're able to milk the clock. That isn't really, they're not a milk the clock offense anymore. Um, I think the game will come down to a um, number one is because both teams are going to go for it on fourth down. So who gets the stops on fourth down? is going to be a, a critical part of the game. Turnovers are always uh, a huge part of the game. And I think in watching film, you know, we, we've had that bugaboo more than Clayton Valley. They've been holding on to the ball better than us. So that's that's going to be an issue. And, and as always, um, can who wins the battle in special teams? And – Right now, I'd say just watching both teams, that, that's probably even right now. And so if someone can uh, get a run back, it's going to be a field position game. So that is is, is going to be a, a big part of uh, the game plan as well. I don't think uh, Clayton Valley is as worried about our offense as they have been in the past, and I think that's justified. So the bottom line is we're going to have to move the ball. We're going to have to score because I think Clayton Valley is going to score. And we have not been a high, you know, there are times where I wouldn't call us a, 
a really high scoring team. We're going to have to move the chains, keep the ball. And um, we're going to have to start. We're going to, I, I really believe that we have to stop Micah. That's going to be our, our number one priority for this, for Spartans to win. They're going to have to hold Micah under hundred yards. They're going to have to, you know, make sure they have, there's no explosive plays by, by Clayton Valley. And we're going to have to win the fourth down war. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, both teams are going to go for it unless it's fourth and nine or something like that. But both of them are going to go for it on fourth down. I, I, I can just see that now. So you got to win the fourth down battle. So the good news, you know, that I think for De La Salle is, you know, Dominic Kelly emerged last week. We've been kind of, you know, he's been showing signs in practice that he was ready for a big game. And, um, I'm sure Clayton Valley's putting on that Amador film, and I know what I'd be saying. Who's this guy? Uh, <laughs> where'd he come from? I mean, he's been in every game, but it's like, wow, you know, he that, he showed a lot last week, you know, breaking tackles, showed his speed. So um, he's going to have to be a big part of this, the game plan, I think, this week and in, in getting him the ball. He showed that, you know, given some room when he breaks out, you know, he can go the distance. So, um, I don't expect a high scoring game, to be honest with you. I expect it to be close. Uh, I expect to be something by high scoring. <laughs> Man, in the old days, it'd be high scoring like a 28. I think we're, I think we are going to have to hold them to 21. We're going to have to score 28 to win the game, 28 or more. So that's how I see it. A couple of things. Chase has been a Micah Avery fan since last year. Uh, he, Having watched them against San Ramon Valley, totally agree with that assessment. Totally agree with the fourth down assessment, too, because when I saw them against San Ramon Valley, their first string place kicker was uh, out. So if they have not gotten him back, then fourth down becomes more of a um, more of a choice. Two-point conversions, sure. too, maybe. Yeah. So um, – agree with that as well. The interesting thing, and we talked to coach Murphy um, for the show this week as well. I wonder how you coach on both sides going into this game, the mental aspect of this game, because what you've touched on every on field thing that you could think about, but the fact remains that whoever in the North coast section finally does beat De La Salle has a sizable mental hurdle to clear. If you're Clayton Valley, how do you approach that going into the week? And if you're Justin and De La Salle, how do you kind of say, okay, guys, there aren't any excuses here and they're going to give you their best shot? I really don't see that as being a mental uh, hurdle if I'm uh, Clayton Valley, simply by the fact if De La Salle is in the game, if De La Salle comes in the game eight, eight and zero, you know, they're undefeated, then that's a huge mental hurdle because no, you know, like, we're going to be the first team, but, you know, back in their minds, it's like, it's going to be, you know, business as usual, but we've gone down three times. So in uh, there in five times in, you know, the last year. So there's no way, there's no way Clayton Valley in any way, shape or form feels like the Spartans are unbeatable. I mean, we've put ourselves in that situation. So that, that right now, that that's, throughout the rest of the year, no one's going to feel that way about us. If anything, they're going to be more and more confident Then you know, they watch us go seven to seven against Amador, you know, at half and they handled Amador. So uh, 
I'm pretty sure Clayton Valley's coming in pretty confident, thinking that you know this is their game to have. The the real mental side is going to be for De La Salle. There's no doubt about it, and try to let them know that you know De La Salle still hasn't played what I consider a great game on both sides. They haven't played what we consider one of your best games of the year. I'm not going to say it's a make or break game, but this is a huge confidence game for the Spartans. If they come out and win this game, then they're going to feel like I think that they've gotten over their hurdle. But if they come out and things don't go well, I don't know how they're going to go in the playoffs with much confidence. I mentioned seeding earlier um, about how this affects seeding. And Ben and I had a long discussion on this earlier in the show. We're in agreement that if Clayton Valley wins this week, it would be the Ugly Eagles and Pittsburgh as the two open division seeds in NCS. They will solid play on the division one side of the bracket and would need to beat the loser of that open final to advance to CAF games. You can't make a six and four team an open team. Can you, what do you think? No, absolutely. I, if I was on that committee, there's, there's no way it's just, yeah, you're absolutely. First of all, they're, they're league champions. Pittsburgh will be league champions. No, they haven't played Antioch yet. So, I'm right, not, they got to beat Antioch. That they got to beat if, but if Pittsburgh beats Antioch and Clayton Valley beats us, that's the way you go. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no question about it. Well, that's uh, that's what we've got for today. But we want to encourage everyone to tune back in Thursday uh, for the second installment of the podcast segment that's taking the nation by storm: dumb football. Uh, last week got pretty wild, so we'll see what this week has in store for us. Plus. Breeders' Cup this week. That's so right. That's Thursday. when. There we go. We'll talk about that. Absolutely. I'm yes. ready for that. Yes. So that'll do it for today. Coach, thanks as always. See you Thursday. Okay, boys. See you Thursday. All right. I wonder if Coach will walk to the game at Clayton Valley this week. We should ask him that on Thursday's show. If they don't win, he might, he absolutely might walk home. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's wrap this thing up. Final read time. This probably isn't the week either, is it? What's your latest nope. excuse? Nope. Nope. No time for that. Big week. No time. Do it. Get it over with. <laughs> All right. So here we go. We'd like to once again thank Clayton Valley coach Tim Murphy for joining the show ahead of his team's big season finale. And of course, we thank Coach Edson for making his weekly drop-in. We build seven Friday night using Anchor, but the show is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for 7 Friday Night. Please rate and subscribe. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there, find links to the various other platforms, and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include. Also, follow the show on Twitter at at SportsStarsPods, and you should also be following Sports Stars Magazine at at SportsStarsMag. That's where you get all the latest updates on upcoming guests and more. Our cover art features photography and design by yours truly. And our theme music was produced and performed by Dustin Phillips. And that will do it. Final thoughts, Ben. Final thoughts for this week. Final thoughts, final thoughts. So I should provide an update on the college park situation that we discussed last week. Head coach Travis Rossiti and athletic director Jim Keck got suspended two games apiece. First, Mount Diablo Unified School District Superintendent Adam Clark and I have actually talked football before when he was an administrator at a different school. So I don't question his ability to look at game film and evaluate it. That said, I think two games is overly harsh, and I think that's designed to send a message and not much else. 
I'm not sure that I'm a fan of that kind of over the top punishment. I'm also I'm also compelled to ask what suspending an athletic director actually does. If he's been to a college park home game, and I'm sure he has, he would know and should know that Jim Keck essentially is the site administrator for a ton of different stuff on game night. Suspending him just makes the actual event less secure and does absolutely nothing to the football product. So that didn't make much sense to me. Um, but College Park will be in the playoffs. We will see these guys again, and we move on. Uh, I, I actually want to end on a positive note. Part of the fun of covering high school football is our relationships with coaches. You heard our rapport with Coach Murphy earlier, with Coach Edson. We have our share of good relationships with head coaches, of course, but I'm actually talking about the guys who don't get their name in articles. When a head coach of a successful program retires, we make a big deal about it. When assistants who've coached at a school for a bunch of years retire, they don't get that kind of shine. So I want to shout out the assistants who make these programs run, the ones we talk to every Friday night, the ones who give us the straight scoop on a lot of things. Obviously, I was at Campo Las Lomas last Friday, two schools with fantastic, long-serving assistant coaches. But there are so many other schools where these guys exist as well. So props to them, and thanks for all the effort in making high school football go as we know it. So a positive note to get out on this week. Well said. Well said. I uh, I echo all those thoughts. There's some really, really good people and good coaches and just flat good people out there. And it's it's uh, always a good thing. All right. Well, back to it on Thursday with our picks. Uh, and now we'll also have a uh, another installment of Dumb Football, most likely, which seemed to be a popular uh, addition last week. So until then. We will talk to you guys on Thursday. Big game week alert.